The only way I can change your future is to change whose words you trust. You're having faith 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and an extra day on leap year. You're having faith. You had faith this morning that that car would turn over when you punch that button or you don't have to turn a key anymore. How lazy have we become? You know, but you're having faith in something. You're either having faith that God will, has and will, or you're having faith that God did but won't, or you're having faith that God never did. One of those three categories. God did and will, God did and won't, or God never did and will not. You're having faith every minute of every day. Your thoughts are faith. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is the man. What you have seen in your mind gate is where you're living today. Now the only way to change course is to change whose words you trust. If you're fearful, you're believing someone. If you're full of faith, you're believing someone. So why not just believe God? Because he's not, he's, I'm, I'm not a man that I should lie. The book says with him there's no variableness, nor shadow of turning. Here's what, all I'm trying to tell you. You can trust him. Because here's one of the greatest verses in your Bible. God is not a man. He's not a man. And all the ladies said, bless his name. This is a year of no fear. Young be seated. Young be seated. Shout it out loud. This year of no fear. And in 2023, we all agree. Say it. Say it one more time. Because in 2023, agreement is essential. Repentance is the language of revival. Now, all I'm doing is giving you the bullet points. So I'd pay attention. I'd get them down. I'd listen very, very carefully. 2023 is a year of what? Of no fear. In 2023, we all what? So let's say it again. In 2023, we all agree. How can we agree? How in the world are you going to get thousands and thousands, millions of people watching? How are you going to get them in agreement? The greatest number of people focused on the smallest point of agreement will yield the greatest result. Okay, that's a lot. I'm going to walk you through it. Because what you hear, you retain a little bit of. What you hear and say, you retain 70% more of. So I'm an audience participation preacher. I like you to talk back. In 2023, 
2023 is a year of whithersoever two or three of us are gathered together in his name. There he is in the midst of us. Repentance is the language of revival. But it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. God in his omniscience is at least bright enough to understand you can catch more flies with honey than vinegar. But preachers mispreaching have preached that repentance is a bad thing. Feeling bad about something and godly sorrow are not in the same category. Feeling bad about something is in your feelings. Repentance is in your heart, your spirit. And God says, it's my goodness that leads you to repentance. And he could have added, so that you have a mechanism whereby to escape the mess. I dare you to shout just loud as you can. I intend to miss that mess. No, you didn't hear me. You just repeated. Now I want you to say it for you. I intend to miss that mess. Show somebody next to you and say, hey, 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 wake up. You miss that mess. Repentance is like God sees you headed off a cliff. And he puts repentance in front of you so you can turn. Anybody glad that we can repent? Because how many of us will stand up and wave both hands and say, I've sure messed it up. Three people. Stand up. Wave your hands. And say, I really messed it up. Because I couldn't even stand up and admit that I messed it up. Now tell three people, I'm a bigger mess than you could ever imagine. Don't, don't judge me by the outside. That's near, that's near not the mess I am. I am a real bona fide mess up. So I thank God for his goodness that has led me to repentance. Now look at him and say, how you like me now? You can be seated. All right. There's a very, very interesting passage in I'm, I'm, I'm going fast forward so everybody stay with me uh, in Exodus chapter number 23 and verse number 23 how many of you think you can remember that Exodus chapter 23 well, let, let me give you, let, let me give you this. 
Let, let, yeah, let me give you this one first. I hate to have to skip. Somebody should have said, well, don't then. No, are you too late now? <laughs> look, look at Revelation chapter 2. I'll just jump forward. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 scriptures. You ready? Revelation chapter 2. That's the one right after chapter 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. You got it? When you got it, scream so you make your neighbor mad and shout, I've got it. That's it. Boy, y'all sassy this morning. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Here it is. To the what? Okay, let me share something with you. We have now entered the Passover season. There is no other time of the year when God dispatches as many angels into your life than right now. Three people. Angels are all around you right now. Hosts of angels. Stop praying for God to send your child a guardian angel. There's no such thing as a guardian angel. There are hosts of guardians, angelic hosts around your children, around your home. And they are on full alert beginning today and going through Passover Easter Sunday, beginning today. You stepped into an arena of angelic intervention that only comes one time every year. If you don't believe it, if you'd left me more than 12 minutes, I'd have shared it with you. I would have shown you how at this particular time of year, God assigns specific angels over seven different areas of your life for this season. So if you're going to get it done with angelic intervention, starts today. Give God glory for angels. And they're not those little fat belly things either. You with me? One of them killed 184,000 men in one day. And you got legions of them. Okay. So Revelation chapter 2 verse 1. Watch this. To the angel of the church at Ephesus. He didn't say to the angel at the church in Corinth. He said a specific angel 
in a specific church. You with me so far? There's a church, there is an angel that has been specifically assigned to World Harvest Church and all its connected ministries since God birthed it in my heart. Not since I decided to do it. Not since I made a career choice. Since God called me, put a mark on me, he assigned an angel to everything in the full scope that we set our hand to. Every one of these churches had their own angel. Now they certainly also had their, their own apostolic pastoral leadership, but they also had a supernatural, and if you don't think angels are supernatural, you don't know anything about them. A supernatural angel, I believe, what would be on the right side of principalities, meaning they are not only over geographic areas, but they expand beyond geographic areas to those genetically linked. Now, see, you don't even know when to shout. Where you go to church matters. I'm going to see if anybody in this Holy Ghost-filled, fire-baptized church believes that. Where you go to church matters. If God assigns an angel, if God assigns apostolic authority, if God puts in place a pastor, then he puts the people there too. Not just some, well, they offered me a job. That's called a hireling. You with me? You Valor students. While you're in Columbus, Ohio, this is your church. I've had leadership say, well, you shouldn't do that. You ought to just let them go to church wherever they want to. No, 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 no. These young people that come into Valor Christian College come under the apostolic covering that birthed Valor Christian College. The women's clinic operates under apostolic authority. City Harvest Network operates under apostolic authority. I don't, I don't say to Bishop Amos or Dr. Wendell Hutchins or uh, uh, Ambassador Brian Bolt or all of the overseers and bishops, I don't say to them, okay, uh, it was my vision, but uh, I'm going to give it to you now. First of all, it's not mine to give. I'm responsible for it. I'll stand before God about it. So where you go to church is important. Now, now keep reading. To the angel of the church at Ephesus, write. He who holds the seven stars, notice every message was addressed with specificity to each church. However, each church read 
and, and in actuality, it was addressed to all the churches. But he's making a distinction. He's saying to this church, to this angel, some people believe that's an angel, and there's an angel, meaning the pastor assigned to that church. I believe both are true. I believe they're both true. Watch this. He who holds the seven, how many? How many? Do you know seven is the number of perfection? No, I have to get this in you now. I, I got 12 minutes. Seven is important. Anytime you find seven in your Bible, circle it, underline it, Selah, pay attention, think about it from every perspective, God's wanting to impart revelation. Seven represents completion or fulfillment. It is one of the major numbers in God's kingdom. Seven. Well, how do I know that? How many days did it take God to create the heavens and the earth and all that in them is? Not six. The seventh day was as important as the third day. That's why if you don't honor the Sabbath, you don't understand that God takes his Shabbat, his Sabbaths, very, very, very seriously. Every 50 years is serious to God. That's a jubilee. Every seven years is, is very important to God. Every seven days are important to God. Say seven. Seven. So he says here, there are seven what? There are seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of what? There it is again. Seven golden candlesticks. So a star is independent. A candlestick is not. So he's talking individually and corporately. You can't just read the Bible, you have to read it. Seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks says these things. So who's walking in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks? That's Jesus. All right. You need to get my series, about 13 of them on end-time prophecy, because there are a whole lot of people that would love to mess you up. Now look what it says. I know your works. Well, time out. He didn't say praise. Praise is not a work. Your works. Watch. Things you do to advance his kingdom. And you have tested those who say they are apostles but have a boy on the side. You have tested those that say they are apostles, but do not preach the blood. 
You have tested those that say they are apostles, but can't live with the same woman. You were doing so good till I got there. But are not. And you found them to be just confused. Liars. And all liars shall have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Here we go. You have tested. Okay. You have endured. Say this, I'm going to make it. I'm not going to be a has-been. I'm not going to be a used-to-be. I'm not going to be an also-ran. I'm not going to start and burn out. I'm staying with it. There aren't enough devils in hell to get me out of what God put me into. I can't get no help in here. I don't care what the economy is. I don't live by this economy anyway. I don't care what happens in my body. My Bible says don't fear him that can kill your body, but he that can cast into hell. And besides that, he's our healer. All right. You say, I'm going to make it. You got to determine. Yeah, get all of it. Hallelujah. Say, I'm going to make it. Stand up, Joni. This is my bride. What, what, what year have we been married now? 36. Correct? 36 years. And we dated seven years before that. So how much is that? Huh? Four to three. Forty-three years we've been together. How do you think that we haven't ever had a, uh, a, stop sugarcoating it. Okay, a fuss. Joni called it a fuss. I'm going to remind you of that the next time. It's just a fuss, baby. Amen. No, but listen to this. Listen to this. I didn't get into marriage, we didn't, with an escape route. I've never looked for a way out. We burned all the bridges. We have refused for all those years to ever allow the D word, and I don't mean Dallas, to ever be spoken among us. That's not an option. Thank you, baby. That's how you endure. Endurance is different Endurance implicit in endurance is you had to fight your way through. It's not a smooth sailing. We endured. No, you didn't endure anything. You were just there. 
But if you had some shipwrecks, if you had some hard times, if there were times your body was aching in pain and you know God's your healer, if there ever been some times when your body didn't want to get out of bed and come back tonight for faith and family night, if there was ever times where the drive seemed too far, where you didn't feel like praying, where you didn't feel like staying up to date with your Bible reading, and you did, and you're still here, I guarantee you two things. You fought to be here, every devil in hell, and look at you, you won. All right, be seated because I'm not to where I want to get to. You have endured. You've been patient. Now that one, whoo! The road to patience is paved with my repentance. Huh? I mean, I get impatient with people walking across the floor. Man, if you walk and act like you're going somewhere. I'm going to get you a Red Bull IV. You have been patient for my name's sake. You have labored and you have not grown weary. Shout, I'm strong. strong. And I am not weak. I'm I'm strong. And I am not weak. I'm healed, healed. delivered, set free, Holy Ghost filled, fire baptized. And I'm not poor either. If you got a pillow to put your head on, more than one pair of shoes and some food somewhere in a cooler, you are in the top 80% of the wealthiest people on this earth. I dare you to say I'm poor. Now he gives them all those admonition or uh, uh, those uh, blessings. and And then he says, now I got something against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Now now stay there a minute. There are a whole lot of firsts in your spiritual life. Everybody always goes back to your your original born-again experience right there, and I think we miss a really good lesson. There are firsts all along the way. There should be firsts like constantly and consistently. So he says, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent. That's the language of revival. Repent, watch this, and do the works you did at first.
So there was a word somewhere along the way. Somebody preached something. You grabbed it. But where did you let it go? Where did, where did it become common? Overexposure leads to lack of honor. Right? Your marriage is never going to stay together if you expect each other to look like they did the day you met them. Because what you married was a body. And that body has a way of shifting. And it's usually not up. Stuff goes the other way. Watch what he said. Now I'm getting where I wanted to go. Or else I, God, Jesus, will come and I will do something. I will remove your candlestick. Watch, watch. That revelation from you. You don't pray. I'll take the revelation of prayer from you. You don't worship. I'll take the revelation of worship from you. You don't attend church. All you COVID-bound, fearful people, cast that spirit of fear out of you. I'll help you. Because if you get used to, here's what happened. Here's why 48% of people that left the church during COVID say they will never go back in, in public worship again. I will remove that candlestick, that illumination, that revelation. If I hold my wife common, God will remove the candlestick. If I think, that's oh, just pastor. People that have eaten and eaten and eaten and been healed and been delivered and their children raised in this church and them raising their children in this church. Yeah, but I mean, you know, he's 66. Let me ask you a question. You think I knew more when I was 30? Come on now. I'm, I'm trying to make a point to you. So he says then, I'll do that unless. I love God. He's always, I'll do this if and when you do that. If, then. If you do this, then I will do that. Don't you love that? Because like you don't have to like try to figure it out. He says it. He gives you a word. He gives you an illumination. He gives you a revelation. Like he, the, like pray and faint not. So if you're fainting, you're not praying. If you're praying, you won't faint. Right? He makes it so easy. I'll do this for you. 
this and this and this and this and this. But all you got to do is that and that and that. Simple, isn't it? But we don't like that because that brings personal responsibility and there's nobody to blame. Here's where I'm trying to get to. Or else, I do the works you did first. Now, some translations say again. Do your first works over again. So he's saying, go back to where you started because you kind of messed up along the way, but all you got to do is repent, go back there, and keep going. But hear me, you wonderful, blessed, glorious, lovely people. God cannot bless you beyond. Some, some of you, Pastor Chris said, some of you are stuck. Let me tell you why you're stuck. God cannot bless what you have cursed. God cannot bless you. You say, I've never cursed anything. God cannot bless you beyond your last act of disobedience. Disobedience brings you back into the realm of sin. To obey is better than to sacrifice, right? God's miracles, His presence, His glory is released when we do what He said. Then He does what He promised. God's miracle is released by what He does when we simply obey. Isn't that simple? Woo! Given it shall be given to you. And I'm not talking about your money. What about your encouragement? What about you not being a wet blanket every time anybody gets around you to the point they see you coming? They hope they can get into a closet before they, you see them. Or are you like, like Elder Canfield? A man in whom there's no guile, a son of consolation. Are you like people like track him down? Like, because they know every time you see him, your spirit man is going to be lifted. Amen. You know. All right. Now, unless you repent. Okay. Goodness of God leads you to repentance. Watch. Or else I will come quickly and remove your candlestick from its place unless you repent. Focus on the word place. Okay. Focus on the word place. Shout it out loud. Place. place. It's T-O-P-O-S. Some folks say topos. Some folks say tapas. Some folks say tapos. Just get it. There's the Greek translation. Yeah. 
then there's the transliteration. And there's, here's what it means. A specific, watch me, watch me, position of opportunity. Ephesians 4.27 says, Give the devil no place. No specific position of opportunity. When 9-11 happened, people said, Could you believe God let that happen? And you know what I said? Somebody or some of us left the door open. We left the door open that the adversary exploited. Are you with me? We have in this church a specific opportunity. And everyone and anyone connected to this church. Because God gave us a revelation through the apostolic gift, sitting in my bachelor apartment 38 years ago. A year, year and a half before Miss Joni and I were married. I lived in a one-bedroom bachelor apartment. It was like 750 square feet. No, I was pastoring this at that time. Can't get anybody to the pastor now. Uh, go online. Please give me $100,000 a year. I'm thinking about starting a church. Well, I wouldn't give you 15 cents. Because you have no faith. You just don't have any faith. Watch now. I was sitting there in my bachelor apartment. One bedroom. I was studying. I didn't have a study. I had an old rocking chair and a TV tray for a desk. I was pastoring this. Well, I need a new car every year. Uh, I prefer a Bentley. You got 18 people. There, bishop, apostle, prophet. Liars. <laughs> okay. I was sitting there. And I was reading Malachi chapter 3. That's what I was reading. Because I was going to receive an offering the next day. And I thought, you know, maybe I ought to look at that. Malachi 3. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse, and prove me now here with, saith the Lord of hosts, that I shall not open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. There shall not be room enough to receive it. And it hit me, and I pointed, and I fell off my rocking chair, and I said, that right there, God, that's what I need. I said, I've never received a nickel in my life that I didn't pay tithe on it. And you know what he said to me? What about the people you preach to every week? Oh. Oh, them. Lord, these people thou hast given me. Right? 
And God, just as clearly as I'm standing in front of you right now, said to me, said to me, how old was I 38 years ago? I'm 66. 28, something like that. Can you believe that? And God said, I didn't say I read it in a book or listened to somebody's service online. God came down. Nobody there but me and said this to me. Every year at Easter, you celebrate when I, God, gave my best on the, rock, on the cross of Calvary. This one time every year. I didn't know it was Passover. I'm 28 years old. I barely know my name. But I knew how to pray. And I knew how to get a word from God. And God said, this one time every year, I want you to challenge them all. That all year they live on 90% and they give 10%. Ask them if they'd like to see what I could do if this one time every year in celebration of me giving my best, they gave their best. So I did that. I further asked the Lord, what do you mean their best? He said, well, they tithe off their income. So challenge them to take one day's income a week. One day. Now, I know why he's telling me that, because 99% of Christians have to live paycheck to paycheck. If they lost three, they wouldn't be able to pay their bills. That's because we don't live by faith. We, we tried to get on credit a lifestyle that our faith can't keep. Don't do that. That's why I lived in that little teeny one-bedroom apartment. That's why I lived there. That's why I didn't go buy a Bentley. You're listening. And he said, if they will set aside one day for the seven days of Passover, seven weeks of Passover season leading up to Easter, watch what will happen. At the end of those seven weeks, they'll have a whole week to sow. Now, most of you could not write out a check today for an entire week's income. As I said, you wouldn't be able to pay your bills the next week. And, and that's not where we should be living but you're in a good church and you can learn to get out of debt and you can learn to be a tither and you can learn to get God involved in your economy. Amen. So I'm not, I'm not preaching condemnation. I'm not preaching that. What I am preaching is an opportunity. Yeah. Are you ready? Say, my extremity, my extremity. is God's opportunity. Because what I don't have, he does. What I need and do not possess, he's already got it, and it's ready, and it's got my name on it. Your extremity is God's opportunity.
But God designed this thing in such a way that a ministry that you're attached to's extremity becomes your opportunity. That's the way this works. So we set out to do that. We needed $100,000, which was, I mean, this was 38 years ago when you could buy, you know, milk for 40 cents a gallon, not $4 a gallon. And I didn't know any better. I just obeyed God. I went out there and told them what he told me. They went spiritually crazy. They grabbed that word. I never saw anything like it. Joni was going to Ohio State University full-time. She was also working full-time. She was driving a standard shift car with no air conditioning. You listening? I mean, that's where we were. We we weren't married at the time, but that she was a student. She was paying her own way through school. And, and I called her. I said, let's go get a hamburger. And she's like, I can't. I have to go to work. I said, you can't. You, that's not when you work. She said, it is now. I just took a second job. I said, well, what are you doing taking a second job? I want to be with you. My blood's red just like yours. She said, I've taken a second job. I believe it was at the Merle Norman makeup counter. Is that right? Anyway, it was somewhere like that. She had so many jobs, honey. She had every job. There is. She did. She's a worker. She still is. So, she said, excuse me, pastor. I was always in trouble when she called me pastor. Instead of honey. She never called me honey. Pastor, I took a second job because I refuse not to have my resurrection seed. So, so here's what I have to tell you. We needed... $100,000 above. You know, I tell people, I, I believe God would have you sow $1,000 at resurrection seed. You know what they do? They're already tithing 600, so they add four to it. That's not the same thing. We're talking three times a year, God said, you bring me an offering. The first one is this time every year. An offering is above your regular tithe, above your regular giving. And so they all did. They did bake sales. They mowed people's lawns. They did babysitting. Some of them were uh, tax accountants. They took extra work. People asked for extra hours on their job. That's what you call being all in. Not, yeah, everybody else will do it. That offering that year would be the equivalent of this year's cash offering that morning being $2 million. Okay, now you're getting nervous. Well, there's more of us, you understand. So if the same, if, if the same amount of 
percentage of people would do what we did then. Like if we would go back, some of y'all, to 38 years ago, and with that same enthusiasm, and with that same 100% agreement, and with that same faith burning in our belly, that's where we could be. Now you think of that. But don't get your eye on your seed. Get your eye on your harvest. Okay, four people got it. This is a resurrection seed. Wait. In the year 2023, which is the year of a hand extended to bring resurrection power, this is our year. This is it. I believe it. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.